G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland, a bonus episode. Redacted Review. Uh, g'day and welcome to a bonus episode of Who Killed Leanne Holland. I'm Jamie Pulse and I'm joined by Graham Crowley. Welcome, Graham. Thanks, Jamie. Good to hear your voice again. It's been too long. It has, mate. So we've been doing our own thing at the moment. You've been off doing Loose Ends. Loose Ends, the Singh Family Tragedy. A very interesting podcast, I think, anyway. Yeah, how many episodes are you up to now? Just released four and... There will be eight and possibly nine. And uh, I've been doing a mental health podcast, so that's been yes every week. But anyway, we're still we're still doing this, and the reason we're doing a bonus episode is because we've got the elusive police review. Well, the redacted version, the very elusive police review. But yes, yeah, we've been harping <laughs> on about it for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> banged on about it a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, and the QPS Queensland Police uh, resisted your requests for six years. Only six years. Yeah. And about $100,000. Anyway. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then we do a podcast and we get the police review. What a surprise. Yeah. So that this is why we're doing, we're going to bring you up to speed, dear listener, uh, about what the police review contains and some points that maybe weren't talked about and points that were talked about. So, Graham, what are we going to talk about first, mate? Well, firstly... The report is 531 pages long, and we received 380 or 381 or something, so two-thirds of it. There's a third redacted. So my comments are prefaced by the fact that maybe there are things that have been redacted that, so if I say something, for instance, oh, they didn't interview this person or they didn't interview that person, maybe they did and uh, I just haven't seen it. So I'm being as accurate as I can. Why do you think we got the redacted version? Like, what, what could be in there that they... Mate, good question. I would love to know the answer about that. Fair enough, they redacted a lot of information about Leanne Holland personally, and I don't have a problem with that. They redacted everything about Pedo Pete, and I do have a problem with that. And then they redacted a lot of names, many, many names. So unless you're really across the 
the material, it did get confusing. Mm. Yeah. So you don't know who said what and who, who they're talking about, who they're referring to when they blank out names. Well, pretty much I did, but everyone else wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. Okay. And what I found as well in the tone was they were more determined to prove me wrong than prove me right. So, yeah. And that's their prerogative. Where they could prove me wrong, they spent pages and pages on it. Mm. But where they couldn't prove me wrong was dealt within a paragraph. So, for example, time of death? Time of death, uh, one paragraph. Mm. Pedo Pete at the crime scene, three or four pages because they're satisfied that he wasn't at the crime scene So and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, time of death is probably a good one to start with, Jamie. Just to summarise, they said Monday. The scientific evidence that I produced said Tuesday. They still arrive at Monday. They still say Monday. But how they arrive at that is very frustrating. They say, well, our evidence um, concluded that she was murdered on the Monday, but they don't say how they arrived at that evidence, which I think is unreasonable. When I produced the forensic entomology evidence to show that time of death was on Tuesday, the entomologist broke it down stage by stage. The growth of the maggots took this long to get from stage one to stage two, stage two to stage three. What did Queensland police do? They just said, well, our entomological research concluded it was Monday. End of story. Yeah, so there's no No evidence backing that. No support, which I found very frustrating. And again, so they had to rely on witnesses to say what time she died. And again, they concluded the last valid sighting was 10.30 a.m. I found a witness on the Monday afternoon who was, in my opinion, extremely credible. He knew her for the whole time of her life. And he said he saw her at the pub on the Monday afternoon, and the Crown didn't accept that. The review found a woman who supported his story. Now, unfortunately, he has since died, but they found a woman who supported his claim that he saw her that afternoon, but they've rejected it. Yeah, okay. And they've gone back to the 10.30 a.m., so make of that what you will. And, and, well, also the bank teller. I mean, we all thought that was very powerful. Uh, there was proven timestamps and the signature and she could validate it through her till, but completely ignored that. Well, what they did was they went back and dealt with the I said, she said. The bank teller, by the way, continued to maintain that she served a young girl at that time and not the holder of the account. Mm. And the police, they redacted some of the statements, so I'm not sure exactly who they spoke to, but they concluded that Herbert, the holder of the account, was the person who made the withdrawal and that the bank teller was wrong. Now, the whole centre of this evidence, the most significant part of this evidence is the withdrawal slip. Yeah. Forget what he said, forget what she said, focus on what the withdrawal slip said. And the withdrawal slip quite clearly said that a third party made that transaction. Forget the witnesses, look at the forensic evidence, the scientific evidence, the paper trial, and the paper trial said a third party made that withdrawal. But the review concluded she was wrong, he was right, move on, nothing to see here. Yeah, which is frustrating because you have in your investigation over the years and your time as a private investigator, you know, there's evidence that you've brought forward that is very well grounded and it's got meat to it, but they've chosen 
just to focus on trying to prove Graham Stafford was guilty, but they could be looking at what might not prove him guilty as well. Oh, that's the way I feel, but <clears throat> who am I to say? Yeah. Pedo Pete at the crime scene. This was a major problem for the police, Jamie. Here is a criminal with a lengthy criminal history and the allegation was, the claim was that he was at the crime scene, which is super embarrassing yeah. and, and raises a lot of questions. Yep. So the review concluded they were right, I was wrong, he wasn't at the crime scene. And I can deal with that, I can live with that. But it does concern me a little bit. The report went three full pages to show that Pedo Pete was not at the crime scene. Okay, he wasn't at the crime scene. They concluded that the man in black who the family said was Pedo Pete was a police officer by the name of Adam McDonald. What the report doesn't show and which concerns me a little bit is some of the question marks that still sort of hang over this issue. Okay, Pedo Pete wasn't at the crime scene. So, A, how come the family identified that guy as Pedo Pete? B, the next-door neighbour maintains that that was Pedo Pete. She lived next to him for years. Her sister went out with him for a couple of years. I spoke to her 18 months ago and she said, far as I'm concerned, that's Pedo Pete. The police interviewed me for the review. They showed me his photo. I signed the back of it and said, that's Pedo Pete. Now, her name may be in the redacted portion of the review, but I doubt it. What I'm saying is she was not mentioned in the review. You have this picture of Pedo Pete that everyone agrees, that everyone they spoke to, that's not Pedo Pete, except that's not actually the case. Here's one who said that is Pedo Pete, so she doesn't get a mention, which is a little bit concerning. Yeah, definitely. And going on from there, you may remember we obtained a recent photo, or two years ago anyway, a photo of Pedo Pete, and we compared it to the photo of the man in black. And there were some striking similarities. And then an artist agreed to take the photo of the man in black and do a sketch of what that person would look like today. And again, there were some striking similarities. So all I can say is, if Adam McDonald, if you're listening, can you please send me a photo of yourself? Because you must look very much like Pedo Pete. Yes, indeed. And what about the vehicles at the crime scene? There were some more issues there. Yeah, just before I finish with Pedo, the last issue I want to raise is one of the investigators in the review told me personally that they had confirmed that Pedo Pete was at the crime scene. Yeah. So I guess he was lying. Why did he lie to me? And I have been asked by ethical standards in the police and I've been asked by Channel 7 to name that detective and I've refused to. I don't want to make a sideshow out of him being charged for leaking sensitive information. I want the thing to stay focused on Mm. the murder. So I've refused to name him, but I'm thinking maybe I should. Like, why did that investigator lie to me and say, oh, by the way, we've confirmed that Pedo Pete was at the crime scene. There were a lot of police there who were unhappy about it, that he was there, but that's what we have to deal with. It's just one big fucking mess, isn't it, mate? (laughs) Well, that's one way of putting it. And, you know, as for the, the cars at the crime scene, There was a woman who gave evidence at the trial who said there was a second car that went up the bush with the red car, which the police claim was Graham Stafford's car. But that aside, it was an old white ambulance or an old white panel van. The police located two or three other people 
in the review who confirmed they too saw the white ambulance up in the bush with the red car. So either Graham Stafford had an accomplice or it wasn't him. Mm. But they've, again, the police have chosen not to pursue the angle of who was Graham Stafford's accomplice. Yeah. So there's no details referring to that as just it's in there, but they haven't tried to negate it or prove it. Well, they've concluded that there was a white ambulance up there. That's mm. nothing more to see here. Let's move on. Yeah. Bit fishy. I could bang on for days about it, Jamie. That's my take on the police review. I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase a Clayton's police review. Police review you're having when you're not having a police review, but it feels to me like it was a Clayton's review. No, I haven't heard of a Clayton's review. Back in the 80s, there was a drink called Clayton's and it was non-alcoholic. When you wanted to have a drink, but you didn't want to have an alcoholic drink, you had a Clayton's drink. Ah, I see. So it was a drink you're having when you're not having a drink. And I think <laughs> so I, I think this is a police review you have when you're not having a police review. <laughs> so. Never would have put those two together, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that people will now accuse you of just only being interested in exonerating Graham Stafford? Hmm, good question. Was I ever interested in exonerating Graham Stafford? I believe I was always just interested in proving that Graham Stafford was not the killer. From that, am I exonerating him? I don't know. You tell me. I guess you found problems with when you looked into it. You had no motive. You had no agendas, but you found these problems. So you made it your mission to bring those problems to light. And that's kind of what led us to here and now. Thank you. That succinctly puts it into definition. Mm. I looked at the case, I saw problems with the case, and I raised those problems. Yeah. And I'm the messenger and I've been frequently shot because of it, but hey, I got broad shoulders. Yeah, you got thick skin, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So where to from here? We know Graham Stafford has put in another application for a coronial inquest. Yes. And he has attached the petition, by the way, to his application, some almost 9,000 names. Yes. Yep. As well as being in Queensland law to have a coronial inquest into every violent death. Well, yes, that that's a good point. It is a requirement under Queensland law, as you well know, Jamie, that where there is a violent death, a coronial inquest must be held. So why has there never been a coronial mm. inquest into the murder of Leanne Holland. We did explain throughout the podcast that there was a loophole. If someone was charged, then there was no need to hold an inquest. But, yes, Graham Stafford was charged, he was convicted, he was jailed, and then his conviction was quashed. So we're back at the stage where no one was charged. There must mm. be an inquest. But they won't hold one. And the Queensland police view on it is it's not necessary. Well, sorry, I don't agree with that. Mm. Police can accuse me of being biased, Jamie, having an agenda. That's fine. But the same could be said about the Queensland Police. I think everyone would accept the coroner as independent and not taking either sides. The coroner could just simply assess the evidence and decide the facts, the time of death, whether pedo was at the crime scene and things like that. One of the questions the coroner would ask is, why hasn't the Queensland Police reopened the murder investigation to identify Graham Stafford's accomplice? Simple question. This thing really needs a coronial inquest. And there's benefits, Jamie, of having an inquest. 
we'd get to see Pedo Pete ask some hard questions. Did he know Leanne Holland? What was his relationship? What was his relationship with senior police? Was he at the crime scene? We'd get to hear from the retired police superintendent, the one who gave Pedo Pete the reference. Perhaps they could have a catch-up, mate. Lunch. And we'd get to meet Pedo Pete's twin, Constable MacDonald. The coroner could ask the police detective why he lied about Pedo Pete being at the crime scene to me. So many questions, mate. And you wonder why the Queensland police are so anxious not to hold an inquest. Yeah. So let me ask you straight from the horse's mouth, reading the police review, does it prove that Graham Stafford was the killer? Not by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. In my humble opinion. There you go. And on that point, I talked to Joe Crowley, the barrister, who has also read the review, and I asked him his interpretation of the review. So don't take it from me. I'm not the lawyer. Let's get a legal opinion on it. Yes. We need to let the powers to be decide this one. Yes. We need to let the Attorney General make their own decision with this one. True. And if the Attorney General is listening or someone in the AG's office, can you please, please not ask Queensland Police for their opinion as to whether a coronial inquest is required? Can you just please look at the law and make your decision based on Queensland legislation? That's right. So in summary, the police review raised more questions than answered, in your humble opinion. Absolutely. Yep. We need to clarify some reductions. Uh, The time of death still being number one issue. Correct. The last valid sighting of Leanne Holland has a massive question mark beside it. Absolutely. The fact that Tuesday morning wasn't even mentioned, the sighting on Tuesday morning. Yes, unless it was redacted and I can't see why that would be that curious sighting on Tuesday morning. They skipped over that. And the fact that Pedo Pete was not at the crime scene, but there's, there's just so many question marks beside that one too with you know the neighbour and the family saying, no, that was him there, plus your detective friend who confirmed it. It's very, very messy and who's telling the truth? The detective may not consider himself my friend, Jamie. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the time he told you. I'm not sure he was my friend then either. Hindsight's twenty twenty, eh? I think it was just a Freudian slip. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Joe Crowley, the defence barrister, couldn't make this meeting with us, Graham Crowley and I. So Graham caught up with Joe via the telephone. So here is Joe's thoughts. The show will return after this quick break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities. 
abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Joe, how are you? Oh, Graham, I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. Good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. It has been. Joe, as you know, Jamie and I are doing another episode on the podcast on the police review, and we've asked you if you wouldn't mind giving us your thoughts on the review. Yeah, of course. Happy to. So, yeah, I received a copy of the redacted police review oh, a couple of months ago now and um, had a chance to go through it. Oh, I was a little unimpressed with it, I must say. I mean, it sort of strikes the right tone in that it sounds very much like it's going to be objective and look at all potential avenues, whether they support Graham Stafford's guilt or don't. But when you actually look into it, they really focus very heavily on information they find that they say supports that he's guilty rather than actually being objective about it and looking at material that also indicates that he's not guilty. Yes, I thought it lacked objectivity, but that was just my opinion. Yeah, it certainly does. And and the the annoying thing about that for me certainly is that, you know, it strikes this tone of trying to be objective, but then quite clearly isn't. An example which jumped out at me is they sort of talk about 2006 when your book came out and that obviously caused some activity in the Queensland Police Service and they do some sort of further investigation. And they say in the review, you know, that to caused people to call into Crime Stoppers with information. I think they say they have many, you know, many pieces of information came to Crime Stoppers. And as a reader, I thought, well, this is interesting. I wonder what's going to come out here. And then they jump on a piece of information, which is a person who says that they were sitting across the road from the house in Alice Street and saw Graham Stafford carry the body, Leon Holland out and put it in his boot. And they go into great detail about what this person said and what they saw and about how they went to and verified it and all of this kind of stuff. Finally, after pages and pages and pages, they conclude that the description that this person gave was far too detailed to have been a recollection and it must be something that's been cobbled together after reading the book. And then they sort of move off and move on to another topic. And I sort of thought, well, what happened to all the other people that call Crime Stoppers? You know, what? where's all the other information? So, you know, they it's what they don't say or what they don't focus on, which I think really demonstrates that they were not objective at all. They seem to dispatch the other 14 or 15 persons of interest pretty quickly, I thought, without any, uh, obviously we didn't see any detail, but they were short-lived investigations by the looks of it. The redactions, I mean, that section seems to be entirely redacted. I mean, just briefly on the redactions, so the, the parts that they have uh, sort of blanked out, I, I, I can't really see any rhyme or reason to some of them. I can understand for privacy reasons that there are some people that the police have spoken to who wouldn't want to be identified. I completely accept that. So block it by all means block out their names and it's something that might identify them. But they've blocked out names of witnesses who were witnesses at the trial. I mean, the trial was a public trial. Anybody could have gone and listened to what was happening. The names of those witnesses have been published in, you know, three or four different published judgments, which is still currently online. I don't see what the point was in redacting their names. I mean, you and I who know the case, uh, you know, know exactly who they're talking about. So, and anybody who didn't could easily find out who they're talking about by just looking up public judgment. So I don't understand the method of redaction. But going back to this idea that you raised about the alternative suspects, I actually saw the section on the alternative suspects when the Channel 7 reporter allowed me to look at the unredacted report. It's only Graham Stafford's supporters and lawyers who have the redacted 
report. The unredacted version is in the hands of Channel 7, probably still in the hands of Channel 7. I had a look at that and I quickly scanned through. I mean, I was under some time pressure, but I, I quickly scanned through and I, I completely agree with your assessment. It was, it seemed to be very short investigation. And in fact, one of them that jumped out at me was discounted as a suspect because he didn't drive a red car. And I thought that sounded, it's making a lot of assumptions. That's, a, that's assuming that the person who was the murderer drove a red car. And I mean, there's some evidence that supports that, but I don't think it's enough evidence to completely discount the fact that it might have been a different coloured car and that the body might have been might have been dumped there in a different coloured car. and So it seemed a silly reason to just wholesalely dismiss the idea that some other person was a suspect. It seemed to me they found further evidence of a second vehicle at the crime scene, a white ambulance or a white panel van. Did, did you see that? Yeah, I did. And that was interesting because I think, think as you mentioned, that had there had been some sort of information about that. I think one of the witnesses at the trial came out of trial, yeah, yeah, had talked about this idea of a white panel van or a white ambulance, and so it was interesting to see that they found some more information to support that. And that, I mean, some of your own investigations, as I understand, have dug up potential suspects who did drive a white, an old white ambulance. Well, what I found, yes, I did, and what I found interesting was that they found further people, further witnesses who saw the white ambulance up in the, the bush with the red car. So either Graham Stafford had an accomplice or it was two other offenders. Now, ordinarily, from my experience, that police investigation would have been reopened and they would have hunted down the other offender. Yes, this is a great I mean, the more, the more I sort of you know, think about this case, the more I think, yeah, and the more I talk to you about it and other people, the more I think that this was committed by a number of people, not just by a lone murderer. But the problem is, and this is one of the great problems with the review, the police can't admit that anything was wrong with their previous investigation because as soon as they do that, that then begs the question, well, how did you get it wrong in the first place? And that would open up the possibility of a of an inquiry into how they got it wrong. So they can't admit that there was that Graham Stafford worked with anyone else because that would beg the question, well, why didn't you work that out sooner? That's the hilarious thrust of the review. It resuscitates or endeavours to resuscitate the prosecution case at trial, despite the fact that that case has been utterly demolished by the Court of Appeal, 2009 appeal. They try and breathe life back into it because they can't say, well, we got it right for the wrong reasons because people will say, well, why did you get the wrong reasons in the first place? Uh, you, and you re- you recall the Daniel Morecambe inquest, the coronial inquest. That inquest really, it was conducted after Daniel Morecambe's murder had been convicted because it was really about how the police got it so wrong. So I think the Queensland Police are very sensitive of the idea that there could be an investigation into how they got this murder wrong. So they don't want to admit any kind of mistake at all. So they go and get this evidence from the crime scene, the crime scene in inverted commas of the house, when a very well-respected prosecution expert has said that the murder never occurred in that bathroom. They still, despite that, still try and push this idea that the murder occurred in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Just on that issue of the inquest, do you believe an inquest is required here? Yeah, and, and the ironic thing is the production of the police review makes it even more imperative because now we really need to know, well, why have the police got it so wrong? What are they covering up? Why is there this continued 
push for what is it, a, a case that does not logically hold together. Just the idea that Graham Stafford carried a body down the front stairs or around the side of the house, one of these new witnesses says, and puts it in the back of the car. Anybody who's been out to Alice Street, one house in from the corner of a very busy intersection directly opposite a pub, beggars belief that in the middle of the day somebody could carry a body downstairs and pop the body into the boot of a car parked on the front lawn. That and so many other things. Well, I understand why they decide, the police have decided they need to try and, um, you know, continue with this fiction that the, the murder occurred in the house, but does not bear any chronological scrutiny. And, and that's what I think probably what the prosecutors thought, because don't forget this review went to the Office of the Department of Public Prosecutions and they were invited to retry Graham Stafford and they declined. Now, they haven't given any reason for that, except they said it's not in the public interest and that could mean a number of but certainly if I was a prosecutor looking at this review, I would not want to be trying to support that in a court of law where opportunities for all of these logical inconsistencies to be pointed out. Yeah, I felt it uh, raised more questions than it provided answers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for example, who were these other people who called Crime Stoppers and what did they say? I think you pointed out, well, what happened to this? the investigations as to this white panel then? What further investigations occurred? See, they knew that back in 1992 at the trial. The witness uh, said there was a white panel van, and I thought that would have been the time to say, oh, we should be reopening this and going hard again. Yeah. Not 30 yeah. years later. Well, that's right. But, I mean, the problem is is that their motivation is not finding out who the killer is. And it's not even proving Graham Stafford is the killer so much. It's making sure that nobody asks any further questions about the investigation. I just think they are absolutely dead scared about any kind of overview of what they did and why when they investigated and in, in the reinvestigation, this, this review, what they did and why. So they're just compounding their mistakes as far as I can see. And, Joe, it worked. Up until the police review, there was a, a number of journalists around Australia who were following this case closely. Once that review was completed, they just dropped off. No one wanted to know about it. And particularly after they used... Channel 7, to sell the story that Stafford was the killer, no one wants to touch this story. No journalist in Australia wants to touch this story. Yeah, which is very sad. And I I obviously agree with you and and saw some of that myself with journalists who suddenly thought the Stafford case was too hot to handle because the executive summary that you and I both were given back by Channel 7 back for the Murder Uncovered program, that was probably passed around amongst some journalists. And that summary and very one-eyed summary of the review, you know, certainly made it look like police got the right man. But as I say, you don't have to scratch the surface very far to find that it's not nothing beneath it, no substance at all. So anyway, hopefully, look, one of the great things about Netflix is it's really brought true crime documentaries to the fore. You know, you might get lucky. Maybe somebody will pick it up, really go through it with a fine tooth comb, and demonstrate all the problems with the police position that the murder occurred in the house and Graham Stafford was the perpetrator. Mm. Yeah, so many unanswered questions here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a new Attorney General, so uh, Graham uh, and his mother and I think some of the supporters wrote to the previous Attorney General, Levette Darth, and asked her to have a coronial inquest into Leanne Holland's death because it's now an unexplained death since there's nobody who has been convicted for it. And she declined on all of those occasions, but there's a new Attorney General now, so I think it would be worthwhile uh, seeing what she, if she had the same opinion or whether she would be prepared to 
um, have an inquiry. I mean, as I say, they had one into Daniel Morecambe's death even after it was an explained death because they had convicted the murderer. They had one into the Whiskey A Go-Go fire, which is a very old historic case. And I didn't even think in the public mind such an old case. The Stafford case is around. I mean, your podcast is proof of that and the interest in it. They're still not prepared to have an inquest and so that the public can work out exactly what went wrong. Graham Stafford, I think. When you say an application, I mean, it's just a letter. You just write to them and say, hi, would you please do this? So, yeah, as I understand, that's going to happen. And, Joe, uh, another application is going in for a coronal inquest. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct, Graham. So there's a new Attorney General and so hopefully she will be kindly disposed towards uh, Graham Stafford's request that the matter be inquired into by a coroner. Certainly time, I think it's, time, it's due, we're due for another application. We've got to keep knocking on that door, as it were, because the Attorney General's changed, so that might be a, show, a change of opinion. If that inquest is rejected, what's the future for this case? Well, unfortunately, the future of this case is back into the hands of the general public. So Michael Kerb, Justice Michael Kirby, who was a retired High Court judge, he said years ago, he said this, but he said, you know, too often in Australia, miscarriage of justice are uh, identified by the media, not by the courts or the police. And I'm sorry to say that that statement is as true now as it was when he said it 20 years ago. So really it's a matter of the public getting behind the case and hopefully the media getting behind it and forcing you know, the politicians to do, to do something about it. Okay. Well, Joe, thanks for your time today. No problems, Graham. Always good to talk to you and hopefully we'll get to the resolution we've been hoping for for so long in this case. Thanks, Joe. Bye, Graham. Thank you very much for listening to the bonus episode of Who Killed Leanne Holland. Uh, Graham and I really appreciate each and every one of your listens and for supporting us, for leaving your feedback and your reviews. Uh, at the end of the day, this case is remained in the media because of people like you to listen and participate and share. So thank you for that. Jamie, can I just add many, many people, as you know, have provided us with a cup of coffee and more. Absolutely. And I really, really am grateful that I'm stunned at the number of people who have said, here, guys, have a drink on me. Exactly. And, and thank you. It, I'm blown away by it, actually. Yeah, because we're doing this out of our own pocket and we don't expect any money, but it does cost a lot to do a podcast. There's a lot of monthly expenses and we appreciate everyone who's been kind enough to just donate a few dollars or even more. Yeah, we're very thankful. I should add that if and when we get the result from the Attorney General, we will let you know. Yeah, any further information, if we get information from the Attorney General, if we get information from the Coroner's Office, we will definitely provide a uh, further bonus episode to keep everyone up to date. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Until next time. Yep, thank you. And good talking again, Jamie. You should do it more often. Absolutely. And where can we find Loose Ends? Wherever you get your podcast, mate. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to it. I'm listening to it currently. It's crazy. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Cheers, mate. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. 
Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanholland.com and 16mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help. And a special thanks to Yamaha Music Australia, Audio Technica Australia, Zoom Australia, Isotope and Sound Theory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.